This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Broadcasting live in the afternoon on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, and in the evenings on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. It is the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. Good to be with you today, Matt and Patrick here today. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Guest free this hour, our COVID modeling expert, Dr. Joe Eastman, will join us in the beginning of the 4 o'clock hour this afternoon. Patrick, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. Uh, nothing exciting to report. How are you today? I'm doing okay. Do you have? I know you do play by play for some of the local high school sports. Any, any, any? Well, forget about necessarily the teams, but uh, you got games this weekend. I do. I'll be out in Delano tomorrow. Actually, they'll take on Lakeville South, which I think that's kind of an interesting matchup. Uh, Delano is a little bit of a lower. Uh, they're in the lower hockey class of the two. Lakeville South maybe not as good as they've usually been, but still a good team. So I think that's going to be a fun matchup tomorrow. Okay, I just had flashbacks to when I I started in this industry. <laughs> the Friday Night Sports Report. Uh, I mean, I, I I just had flashbacks there uh, of that. That's uh, yeah. I, I was really bad at that stuff. You know that? I'm, I mean, of all the things that you can do at a radio station, I've done everything, and I've done everything pretty much somewhat well. Not the best on some things. I mean, let's you know, let's listen to this crap fest. But I mean, uh, you know, it's I've, some things I don't do that well. The worst thing I do is play by play because I'm dyslexic to a point. So sixty one becomes sixteen, and it's that guy, and and I don't know the penalties. So. I, 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 they made me, they made me call a high school basketball game one time. And there were more hand checks in that game because I was, uh, that was like, uh, it's a, unless it's a, 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 a violation in the paint or out of bounds, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a hand check violation, hand check. And finally, I got a message from the station. They're saying, everyone's wondering what the heck's a hand check violation. I said, I don't know. You made me do this. You know, you, 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 yeah, I told you, I told you this is not what I should do. I mean, you're going to have me do something like do something like NASCAR, Chicago Land. Have me come on and do NASCAR because uh, hey, that car's in front of the other car, and they're still going around the track, and that car now is behind that other car, and they're still going around the track, and I'll send it to a pit crew guy who will tell us something. Great, and that guy's still going around the track. You know, see, I can do that. They're still turning left turning. after 200 laps. Well, I do like, uh, what's the race course out in California? The one that's a street course. Oh, Sonoma? Uh, thank you. I do like that one. Hey, make sure, can, can any of those cars turn right? They can? Okay, great. Let's, let's just, let's see how that happens. I do like the street courses. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. You know, I am no detective. Um, Patrick, I am no, I mean, I'm sure I've watched enough law and order to kill a horse, but 
I am no detective, but I think I think I might be able to solve this next caper. Are you ready? Put on your thinking cap here, and let's see if you can you can follow along. Okay. Um, it's an old fashioned paper caper, but they maybe you don't want to call the cops. Hundreds of copies of the local newspaper in Ore, Colorado, were stolen from around town this week. The day the paper published a story about an alleged rape at the police chief's house. Hmm. Hmm. Ore County Plain Dealer co-publisher Aaron McIntyre acknowledged the apparent theft of almost all the papers in an email to the readers on Thursday, encouraged them to connect the dots on their own. (laughs) It's pretty clear that someone didn't want the community to read about the news this week, McIntyre wrote. I'll leave it up to you to draw your own conclusions on which story they did not want you to read. The front page headline from the January 18th to 24th edition of the paper in question reads, Girl, rapes occurred at Chief's house. Ah, hmm. Maybe just someone's a big fan of the boggle. You know, uh, you know, just the word, the word boggle there. Oh, who wants to, who wants to do that? That's good fun. The story, which by the way, was authored by McIntyre, relays the horrific, horrific allegations. And by the way, um, I'm not saying the chief stole this paper, all the papers, but whoever did, if this whole thing was about preventing this news story from coming out, good call. Now, here's the news story. Uh, It relays the horrific allegations of a 17-year-old girl who says she was repeatedly raped while at a party with the police chief's stepson and two other individuals in May of 2023. Rutro, I'm sure this will not get out now, chief. I'm sure whatever ha- I'm not saying I don't know who took all the papers, but I'm sure I'm sure this will not get out. The teenager told investigators that Ori Police Chief Jeff Wood and his family were asleep upstairs at the time, and she screamed and fought back, but to no avail. In a media release on Tuesday, the city said the case had been referred to the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, and that it's not currently conducting any personal investigations into the police department. Uh, you might wanna. I, I don't know. You know, you can go with the rape case, but maybe you should be looking into who stole all the papers in town. Because I'm going to guarantee you someone had a camera somewhere. <laughs> Separately, the CBI announced the arrest of three people this week regarding the alleged assault. Gabriel Trulio and Wash, uh, Ashton Whittington were both booked into Moncrose County Jail being held on a $60,000 bond, while a third unnamed juvenile was arrested in Kansas, will be extradited to Colorado. And undeterred McIntyre, who seized upon the newspaper's theft and the rallying cry for the importance of local news. Whoever did this does not understand that stealing newspapers doesn't stop the story. Yeah, no, this is this is someone who's dumb as a brick. I don't know. So stupid they might like sleep through a rape or something like that. I, don't, I mean, I'm just putting out an example. I'm just putting out an example. But someone who's really stupid, brick dumb, a brick with lips. That's what we're talking about. Um, This person is not going to shut down freedom of the press by stealing a few hundred newspapers. The community won't stand for it, and we won't either. I don't know how much of a newspaper costs. A few hundred. If they're a buck a piece, you're looking at a few thousand dollars. You better hope there's no video of this thief. Well, I mean, I almost said a word that sounds like thief, but I meant thief, thief, whoever it is. The thief is guilty. The thief is guilty. I was going to say, 
you know, do you have a dude going into a gas station and taking the papers out of there? I mean, there's, you know, got to be footage of that if they tried it. That they tried to do that. Well, maybe let me let me see if I can, you know, maybe reenact this a little bit. I'm working the gas station counter. Hey, thief, how are you doing today? You didn't see me. Okay, thief. There you go. And scene. <laughs> uh, well. I'm sure no one's ever going to talk about this story. So whoever the thief was, the thief should be aware that this story is not the story of apparently a rape at the chief's house will never be heard from again. Allegations. Allegations. Allegedly. Thief. 952 Yeah, Stuff like this happens. They still think that this this is, you know, well, I, 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 I want to be careful. I just, I, stuff like this happens. People think they can control the small town. Someone does. A thief does. Also in news today, um... Okay, now I am 55 years old, and now occasionally I do like going out to a concert. I've been to a few of them. I was down when I was, uh, you know, I've been around to a few, and, and you know, the last one I went to, because I've just been so busy with the holidays, was when I was down in New Orleans. I went and saw Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers at Tipitina's, and it was phenomenal. Rory Danger and the Danger Dangers. Highly recommend. Good band. I did not get a chance to go see Dury over at First Avenue. I really wanted to. But uh, they they had a you know their their tour ending show over at First Avenue and if you've never been it's a it's a great concert venue and it's it's well worth the time. Um, but I, I haven't been. But one of the reasons why I don't do concerts, especially a lot, not like when I was in the twenties, is because I'm old. <laughs> not old like you know elderly people. And salute to you. Thank you very much for listening. But old like oh god man, I got to be up at seven tomorrow because I got a dog that wants to walk. And, you know, that dog's not going to understand, hey, I wanted to go out and see this show. I tried to get, by the way, I did try to get Taylor Swift tickets. But, you know, I had to look at my daughter and have to explain to her multiple times that round-trip plane tickets to Paris were less expensive than those damn tickets. Thanks, Ticketmaster. Burn in hell. Uh, But I, I basically had to explain that to her. I could fly you round trip to Paris and probably pay for the hotel and most of the meals too, and it would be cheaper than one ticket to Tay Tay. Thanks, Ticketmaster. No, thanks for thanks for all those tears. Thank you. You suck. Anyway, I'm sure I'm sure that you're you're you know you once you're done with your Scrooge McDuck money vat swimming that you'll 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 get right on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently Madonna has, and I've known this about Madonna. Someone told me this actually years ago, that Madonna actually starts her concerts pretty late, that it might say eight o'clock on the ticket, but it's not going to start till later. And I know some municipalities actually have rules about when the concerts have to end. Um, and it, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, for Illinois, for Chicago or for Minneapolis, St. Paul, what that is. I know there are a lot of shows that generally do get over in the Twin Cities before, say, like 11 o'clock. They're done playing. And I don't know if that's by ordinance or if that's just the way it is. But Madonna generally goes late. 
Now, two Madonna fans are expressing themselves in a federal class action suit filed against the pop icon on Wednesday. Concertgoers Michael Fellows and Jonathan Haddon allege the singer took her to the stage two hours past the advertised start time for three concerts at Brooklyn's Barclays Center on her celebration tour last month, according to a complaint shared by Billboard magazine. That the ad they add that as a result of Madonna taking the stage after ten thirty p.m. By the way, East Coast time. God, that sucks, man. And East Coast, I lived on the East Coast, and I was just out on the East Coast. Man, you know that that basketball game starts at what time? Ten? No. Yeah, it's that's a tough call, man. Uh, Madonna took the stage at ten thirty p.m. instead of eleven eight thirty p.m. Advertised start. The concertgoers left the venue after 1 a.m. when they faced limited public transportation, limited ride sharing, or an increased public or private transportation costs and at, at that late hour. You're in Brooklyn. What do you mean limited ride sharing? You're in Brooklyn, man. You couldn't find an Uber or a Lyft in Brooklyn? Please. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, that's where this thing kind of comes about. I Don't get me wrong. I, I get it. The subways and stuff like that might be a little tougher to get but you ubers lifts and stuff like that in 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 new york city in brooklyn come on you, you they're they're probably lined up in addition many ticket holders who attended concerts on a weeknight had to get up early to go to work and to take care of the family responsibilities the next day something i just told you i have the ability to have the foresight to not get myself into that problem with but apparently, some people don't understand how the Earth spins around the sun. Apparently. Uh, yeah, I'll, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I got a lot of things to get to today. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950 and WCPT. The Matt McNeil Show on your Friday. Good to be with you. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Now, reminder, let's not, let's not overthink ourselves there, uh, uh, Democrats. Democrats have a tendency of sometimes just mistaking uh, and, and, and basically listening to Republican talking points uh, and, and basically trying to argue that, you know, that as opposed to taking the low-hanging fruit and winning with that, they be, they either try to become nuanced. <laughs> I've got my ninety page strongly worded memo about Peruvian goats, and you're like, oh, for God's sakes, how are you missing this? Or sometimes, like I said, they they'll buy the Republican talking points, and the Republican talking points will misguide them. I mean, the Republicans are pushing these talking points because they desperately want to control the narrative, and the Democrats say, of. First, I will challenge you on your terms. And you're like, okay, for God's sakes, how are you this dumb? Don't do that. Abortion is still a poison pill for the Republicans. They do not want to run on this. And do not outthink yourself. Do not try to be clever. Do not get into this whole, every county is a border county bull crud the Republicans have because and as, as I'll mention here in just a few minutes, the economy is getting better. And as a matter of fact, public sentiment on the economy is actually skyrocketing right now. And so the only thing, the only thing they've got, the Republicans have got, is this, you know, trying to make the border crisis into the greatest border crisis. And they're really bad at it. I mean, not only did the Texas people murder a woman and two children as they prevented people from trying to save them, so Christian. 
But they keep – this is one of my favorite things about Republicans. How stupid are Republicans? Let me share. How many of them have put out lately the entire notion of, of do you know how much fentanyl was seized at the border? Oh, that's good. No, you don't understand. Fentanyl, they tried to get it in, and it was stopped. Yeah, do you not understand what the term seized means? But that's irrelevant. They tried. Okay, but they stopped them. Sure, okay, fine. But counterpoint, they tried to bring it in. But it didn't get in. What Are you upset that they stopped it? Yeah, they don't, they're not really good at this. So basically, go for the jugular on the abortion issue because this is a truth and this is a fact about every Republican. You paying attention? Good. As much as they will say, I've rethought my position, every one of them is lying. They will do exactly what they have said they were going to do since the 1970s, which is put in absolute restrictions and prevent you from ever being able to make the choice for yourself. They will eagerly take away women's rights in this country. And they're trying a case about, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Supreme Court because that whole case about, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the Supreme Court because that whole case about, you know, you about, uh, you know, abortion medication, they basically, it's, it's made up of right-wing talking points. So they have to ignore medical science for them to do it. And I'm not saying that it's not past them, that Republican-controlled Supreme Court, uh, like I said, yeah, no difference between Trump and Hillary. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm still a little bitter about that. Come on. You guys could have seen that cab coming down the street, couldn't you? Anyway, it's going to take us 20 years of showing up, but a something that keeps that fire in your belly rolling is that if you keep electing Republicans, they will take away more and more of your rights. Henceforth, let's look at Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. Now, this is North Carolina, and shout out to the great listeners in North Carolina who let me know every day. You can, you can watch the show on our social media pages, and they do chime in. Hello, guys. How are you today? Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson has said he's a, he'd like abortion to be banned in all circumstances, including rape and incest. He frequently likened abortion to murder, and he said that once a woman's pregnant, her body is no longer her own. Now, as a candidate for governor, Robinson wants you to forget that he ever said all that, and he doesn't seem to have much memory of it himself. Robinson doesn't want to talk about abortion much anymore, and if he does, it does it with much more carefully. According to CNN, Robinson denies ever supporting abortion bans without exceptions and has stopped using what he calls the A word, a favor of more euphemism words of, like, life. So he doesn't want to say the word abortion anymore, even though he was, we're going to stop all abortion. From the CNN article, at a public event in August, Robinson said he didn't recall making statements in support of a total ban on abortion and said they always struggled on the issue. Bull crap, you lying bastard. No, seriously, and let him know I said that. Bull crap. And by the way, anyone dumb enough in North Carolina to think that this guy won't put in basically absolutist abortion restrictions, you're a fool. He's not changed. He's just trying to convince you that he's nuanced, which he's not. I don't like it when stupid people think they're clever. And this guy is a stupid person who thinks he's clever. And the reality is, is if you trust him, you are a big fool. Here's where the, I think this is a Charlotte Observer didn't recall 
Well, here's a reminder. Robinson once said, there is no compromise for me on abortion, regardless of why or how a person becomes pregnant. He also said that he were governor he, and he w- and had a willing legislature. He would pass a bill saying you can't have an abortion in North Carolina for any reason. He also said paid for his now wife to have an abortion back in the 1980s, but once said deprive others of that same choice. Once again, massive hypocrite. He himself, as he has said, I don't want anyone to have the right for an abortion. He himself had an abortion with his then-girlfriend at the time. That doesn't sound like someone who has always struggled with the issue and the position. Of course, Robinson is far from the only Republican who has quietly tried to soften their stance on abortion since the fall of Roe v. Wade. Ted Budd, for example, did the same thing when he was running for U.S. Senate in 2022, largely avoiding the subject despite previously hinting he'd like to ban abortions in nearly all cases. Republican congressional candidate Bo Hines scrubbed his website of all references to abortion while running for his swing district in 2022. Let's be clear, though, Robinson might be trying to ease up on abortion, but he's nowhere close to seeming moderate on the issue. His office now says he supports legislation that bans abortion after about six weeks of pregnancy, with exceptions that only marginally less extreme than banning it entirely. It's still wildly out of step with the majority of voters who are happy with abortion laws under Roe and don't want to see them restricted much further. Robinson can't run from his extremist past, but he can't hide from it either. He may have forgotten where he once stood on abortion, but voters have a right and a much better memory. It is just a consummate example that suddenly they are the dog that caught the car and now all of a sudden they don't know what to do with it. And so now they're all they're just hoping that everyone is stupid and doesn't get it and doesn't see the reality that they're still the same party on abortion. It's just they can't talk about it anymore because it dooms them in a race and in a place like North Carolina where it's not nearly the slam dunk to win that Republicans like to think it is anymore because it's changing. The demographics of that state are changing. It is toxic for him to have his record, a record that only a year and a half ago he was proudly posting, proudly talking about. So now if you're stupid enough to believe that this guy, because like I said, it's not that he's changed. I have zero doubt he's, he's still 100% against all abortions no matter what. That he would like to get him done. He's just hoping you're stupid enough to forget what he's said. And this goes for every Republican across the country. Because I guarantee you pretty much every Republican has at one point talked about massive restrictions to women's rights to choose their own health care. Do not believe them. It's the Matt McNeil Show. to you on WCPTA 20 Chicago's Progressive Talk and good afternoon in Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It is the Matt McNeil Show, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. By the way, the story that I teased a little bit earlier, in the last couple of months, Americans' sour sentiment has grown a lot sunnier. Since the pandemic, U.S. consumers have consistently reported depressed economic sentiment, despite the fact that America's economy has staged a better recovery from COVID than the rest of the world's rich nations have. Starting two months ago, America's mood started heading back up. The University of Michigan index that tracks consumer sentiment has surged more than 28% since November. Since the late 1970s, only other period with such a rapid two-month turnabout came in March of 91 
amid the good feeling that permeated the country after the victory of the U.S. and the allies against Iraq in the first Gulf War. The sudden onset of optimism may seem to have come out of nowhere, but we have noted regularly that the two key drivers of consumer sentiment, gasoline prices, which have fallen significantly since October, and stock prices, which are fluttering near new record highs. As a matter of fact, I think they had record highs today. They went back up again. Could be the makings for a stark improvement in the national mood this year. Which, by the way, once again, every Republican goes, that is the worst ever. I just paid $19 a gallon for gasoline and was murdered four times. Yeah, okay. All right. It brings up an interesting point because I, I, I have talked about, if you did not see the special last squeak tonight John Oliver episode that he made about Chuck E. Cheese – he did so, and he specifically said, I have made this for millennials and Generation Z because you will never be able to afford a house. And the main topic that week was about home uh, homeowners associations. And he said that this is not something that applies to you. So we went and made our own special episode, which was about Chuck E. Cheese, which was amazing, by the way. Both those episodes were amazing. If you haven't gone to last squeak tonight, you can actually still see that episode. It is there. It does bring – I'm raising three kids. They're all Generation Z. My son is right on the front cusp of that and I have two daughters. And this bug, bugs me because even though it's not been easy and my wife and I have made a lot of what I would consider to be very good choices – from, you know, she was one of those people. I met my wife, and she was one of those people that basically was saying in the 1920s, in, in our 20s, in 1920s, in our 20s, that we should be putting money into our retirement accounts. And so I did. I followed her lead. And yeah, that's been a boon for us. That's been a very helpful. When we bought our house, we did not try to buy our house in the wealthiest neighborhood or our neighborhood we barely could afford. We found a reasonably priced house at that point, even though it was still, I think it was. Twenty or 30000 more than we wanted, but it was relatively reasonably priced in a neighborhood we wanted to be in. We never used it as – we thought of it as our retirement account because that's not exactly the safest plan, nor did we ever look at just jumping to the next house as soon as we had a few years under our belt. And particularly back in the 2000s, I never once considered any of those – mortgage offers offers that were coming to our house from 2005 until 2008 begging us to you know that we'll give you we'll give you three times what your house is worth and you just have to pay back eventually in a 19% interest and it, <laughs> these stuff you know stuff like that which for some reasons were floating and people were doing that but it was it was it was crazy but at the same time we navigated it and we got through and this idea that my kids who are basically 30 years younger than me and 30 to 35 years younger than me don't have this opportunity is terrifying. Now, CNN dove into this a little bit for millennials now age 27 to 24 or excuse me, 24, 27 to 42. Like I said, dyslexia. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, 27 to 42. They have lagged behind the baby boomer parents and generation X counterparts for accumulating wealth. 
Most are raised in the economic ideal of the 1990s, one of the longest recorded economic expansions in U.S. history. But by the time they graduated college, they would be upside turn, uh, turned upside down by the Great Recession. Older millennials entered the job market just as corporate America was coming off its hinges in the worst downturn since the Great Depression. The 2008-2009 recession made up entry-level jobs scarce, so push older workers putting off retirement, coming up the corporate path for younger workers. For years after the recession was technically over, unemployment remained higher than its pre-recession 2007 level. Thanks, George W. Critics of the Obama administration dubbed the decade following the Great Recession the barbecue economy because the crowd was low and slow. No, that was not. That was by design by George W. Bush. And a reminder, the whole goal, they knew the whole system was collapsing. They knew it was collapsing. Their whole goal was to get to at least the election that year and then let it fall apart and blame Obama. The reality is it fell apart before Obama took office. And it fell apart, and the only reason it stayed as, up as long as it did is because the government was you know, trying its hardest to keep things from collapsing all across the board. But that economy went into the tank because George W. Bush was designed – it was designed to basically go in the tank. And it, it should be noted that even if McCain had won in 2008, they were willing to screw him over – just to basically kind of push the, the George W. mentality. And, and still one of, the, one of my most favorite moments ever was W's uh, Treasury Secretary going to Congress and saying, give me a few billion dollars. You can't ask where it goes. You can't ask for receipts. Just give it to me and we'll be good. And what you found out after the fact was that was Operation Save Christmas bonus. That was the W administration just trying to get a bunch of taxpayer dollars to give to the executives who felt like they were wrong because they weren't going to get their Christmas bonus because due to their own personal inactions, their company didn't even exist anymore because it imploded. Good times. But that was that was there. The nest egg myth as well, they touch on in the CNN article, central to the pitch of the American dream is the house. Home ownership of the traditional thinking goes is the surest way to build wealth, save up a down payment, buy a starter home, and definitely don't spend too much throwing money away on rent. The dream has become more fantasy in the COVID era economy. Housing inventory is already low before the pandemic. The long lingering effect of the bubbles collapse in 2007, which created a glut of empty homes and prompted developers to drastically scale back production. The supply dwindled even further as more remote workers retreated from the cities, taking advantage of the record low mortgage rates. Between uh, 2021 and 2022, home prices surged to record highs. Then as inflation took root, the interest rates rose. Those too good to miss 3% mortgages vanished. So um, that was part of the problem. You know, there are multiple things here. But I – and by the way, we should, you know, not give a pass to the developers – who stopped building single-family homes. Single-family homes, it's not that they can't make a profit off of them. It's just they can't make a big profit off of them. So most of the houses that are built today are massive McMansions or townhomes, condo complexes, apartment complexes because they can make more money off those than single-family housing. And think about the suburbs of Chicago. I've been in uh, South Holland down there. I have an, I had an uncle who lived down there. It was a, a great Chicago resident. Tom, he was fantastic and just a big Bears fan too. I didn't just uh, he, he sure loved his Bears. Uh, I was down there. I was, of course, you go around the Twin Cities metro area. You see these complete 
suburbs, these communities on the outskirts of the city where it's these all these houses were built, the starter homes that were built in the 50s and 60s, which basically housed America. No one's going to do that nowadays. And if they do, it's all luxury starter homes, which means basically they're charging $500,000, $600,000 for them, so they're not exactly starter homes. A starter home should be something that's affordable, at least less than or right at the median price for a house within a district, not over. And this is part of the problem. Now, there I want to touch on why we're in this mess. Because we, 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 to solve the problem, we can shrug, we can shrug our shoulders. We can, we can, you know, kind of sit there and say, oh, well, things are, things are, are, are bad and all these things. And and they are, but if you don't solve what the problems that cause this are to cause this to a point where we're at the point we're at right now, then you don't have any chance because this is there. There is there's a lot out here that we could fix, but because the wealthy people and the biggest corporations in the banking industry don't want to fix it because they're making a mint off of it, well, it's not going to get fixed. But we have to if we're going to solve this problem, or else we're going to eventually have a situation where it's going to be like France pre-revolution, where you have a very small, insanely wealthy ruling class and even the middle class, the middle class doesn't even exist anymore. Everyone else is basically fighting over breadcrumbs in the streets. Here are the here are the two things, or excuse me, three things that happen. Now I'm going to start with one, which we we just cannot understate the damage that these two things did in W's administration and then Trump's administration. Their tax cut plan. Now. Let me explain basic economics 101. You cannot give a tax cut if you're running a deficit because you don't have extra money to give. So saying you're giving a tax cut is a misnomer. What you're really doing is you're borrowing a bunch of money from China, giving it to wealthy people, and then saying the middle and lower class have to pay it back because this so-called stimulus idea that's going to create a bunch of economic things doesn't work because, frankly, the system is rigged. The system is not rigged to spur the economy. The system is rigged to take the wealth of all of us and give it to the wealthy. And it worked like a charm. Under Trump's administration, everyone warned him, don't do this. This is going to not create any kind of economic spur, and it's all it's going to do is cavitate the, 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 the deficit. And it did. And yet here we are today, we are still here today saying the deficit's a problem. We need to cut Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. Why don't you fix the problem that created it and undo the Trump era and the W. Bush era tax cuts? I know why you're not, because you need those campaign donations and those lobbying gigs for when you're done with your political career. But that is the problem, the redistribution of wealth through this system. And no, if they cut Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare... Then you're not going to get any of that money back. All that money is still going to go to the wealthy. So the, the deficit's going to be there. Eventually, they're going to just sit there and look at anyone that makes less than $100,000 a year and say, your new income tax rate is 50% because we got to pay it down. It sucks to be you. But if we dare try to do that to the wealthy people, they're the job creators. They're not. They're not the job creators. They are basically greedy. And they take this money and then just jam it in their pockets by design. Because once again, the Republicans, they're only concerned. They don't care about the economy because that whole process is a stupid process if you're concerned about the economy. To borrow money from a foreign country and then pay it back with interest 
when all you did is take wheelbarrows full of cash over to the wealthy people's house and dump it in their front yard. (laughs) That's a really stupid way to do it. But they want their campaign checks, and they want their lobbying gigs, and they want Junior to have his lobbying gigs, and they want his wife to have a lobbying gig. This is the system. Number two, the lessons of 2008, the housing crisis, the housing crunch that happened there. The lesson learned wasn't that, hey, maybe we should be more reasonable with our loaning process. Maybe we should basically not be so reckless. Maybe what we should do is is basically kind of go back to the way things were. Nope. Their whole plan is to buy up as much of the property in this country as possible. Pricing you, your family, Generation Z, and the millennials out of buying a home to prevent their reckless behavior from from killing their banks again. So that's why you have, I mean, I have two friends who thought they were selling a house to a couple only to find out at the closing it was some, they were a front for some company. And they would, they said that they wouldn't have done that. They would not have sold the house to them if they thought it was some company buying it up. They would wanted to give it to someone who was looking for a home. And yet, that's where we're at. So that is, they have outpriced you out of the housing market because they don't want this housing market to cripple them like it did before. And so not only that, but then, of course, and, and like I said, these are none of these issues are so linear. I mean, there's the whole idea that so many of these places are, 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 are you know, when, especially townhomes, condos, or apartments, some of them are bought up right away by this, the, the Airbnb industry, and they sit empty uh, as an investment property. I mean, I mean, the only way I think you're ever going to get that to come down again is that if it collapses again and they have to get rid of all the, the, the property. And the only way that that happens is if they, they well, if, I don't know if it will. I think that's what they're doing right now is they're preventing that from ever happening again. I'll get to the third thing when I do return. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday, 952-946-6205. So the two things uh, I, I mentioned so far that are one of the reasons why Generation Z and millennials are basically getting the raw end of this deal. Uh, number one, those tax, those two tax cuts were basically it was a redistribution of wealth. And it was, it was a redistribution of wealth done by the federal government, but done by the Republicans, where they borrowed money, gave it to the wealthy people, and told the middle and lower class, you need to pay this back. And not only that, I, one thing I failed to mention with that is then we had tremendous amounts of cuts to programs and services, including programs and services to help people get out of poverty that basically compounded the issue. The second thing is after the the housing collapse of 2008, the banks and the, the mortgage and all those industries, they didn't learn their lesson. They should have learned their lesson to be more, you know, not be, you know, so willy nilly, so open, so freewheeling when it comes to the mortgages. What they did is they said, well, we want to make sure this never collapses again. So this has begun a massive pro- process of buying up as much of the property in this country as possible, limiting supply. You don't have people building new starter homes anymore. It's all apartments, condos, apartments, condos, and and, condo, uh, and uh, townhomes, and or else it's mega houses. That's what gets built nowadays. And the end result is that basically, uh, you know, they're controlling it and preventing the market from collapsing by basically owning a majority of the properties. And that's 
that's killing you as far as far as going and buying houses. The third one is one that is just it is really obscene. The 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 accumulation of wealth at the top, the the system that has been put into pr- place in this country that diverted the money from the people to the top and it's not nearly as abrupt or quick as those two tax cuts were. I a long time ago in Chicago, this was back when uh, I was just here in Minneapolis. A long time ago, I had a woman who was a CFO of a company wrote me a letter describing uh, her retirement and describing how sad she was to see how things had gone. She'd, she'd worked at a company. She started there. She was sent to college by the company, uh, became their accountant. One of their accountants eventually became their CFO, was there with the dad who was the original owner. They had like 100 employees. And you know she said that when, when she started there, the owner made like $200,000 a year only like I think it was five times more than the lowest paid employee. And it was actually a, a, you know everyone was happy. There was it was they'd had success. Everyone enjoyed it. When the dad retired, eventually died, and the son took over, things dramatically changed. All of a sudden, their salaries skyrocketed. They were all of a sudden seven figure salaries. They had expense accounts. They laid off staff. They cut salaries. They cut employees, threatened people. And it got to the point where they were down to about a third of the staff and they were living better. You know, his, his son was you know, massively living well, way beyond his father did because he looked at the business as a checking account. That is not a unique story. That is what has happened. We used to have companies where the top executives would make five, six, maybe seven, thousand, seven times more than the lowest paid employee, still lived a very comfortable life, still had the, one of the nicest houses in town. And starting in the 1980s, we had this new mentality that creep, crept into the business, which was the executive class was the most important element of any company. And funny story the executive class was paying people to echo those points. And like I said, how much power did they already have? Well, when the housing market collapsed in 2008, the W administration was trying to get billions of dollars not to help the country, but to pay these executives the Christmas bonuses they demanded they get paid even though they destroyed their own companies. This redistribution of wealth is plainly in sight. The national average income, the average income in 2022 was 105555 That's the average. But when you look at the median income, the median is the middle point. That there is just as many people below that number as there are above it. Average can get skewed because of the billionaires and the millionaires. The median rate for a man in 2022 was $52,000. The female rate was $39,000. So to have median numbers that much lower than the average numbers, what you've got is an accumulation of wealth that's extreme. They stop paying Christmas, you know, you know, raises, cost of living increases. They stopped giving out benefits. They would cut staff and then threaten you if you basically got upset about it. They would ship their jobs overseas. And we're building stuff substandardly in foreign, you know, foreign uh, manufacturing plants. They still do it today. Because they started getting greedy and they started 
their mouth got wider and wider open, and they wanted more and more and more. And they're so brazen about it, they've actually gotten two, the two, last two Republican presidents to pass a tax cut, which wasn't a tax cut, which was us basically borrowing money from China, giving it to them, the wealthiest people, and basically making the middle and lower class pay it back for reasons. That's, 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 that's how brazen they are and how, how accommodating the Republican Party has been to this whole thing. Jobsman overseas, executive salaries skyrocketed, pay to not keep up, corporate greed, cutting staff. Even when you do get something like COVID relief money, what does corporate America do? They would come on out, they would raise their prices so they could take that check from you, prevent you from getting the benefit of it. Your eggs went up. They they weren't suffering from freaking inflation at the egg manufacturing plants. They weren't. They were having record profits. You cannot have inflation and record profits at the same time. Those two economic things are incompatible. This was not inflation. It was good old-fashioned greed. And right now, we do not have enough people who have the guts to go and fight this. Because millionaires and billionaires are a sign that capitalism is failing. I'm not saying the top of these companies shouldn't have a good salary. Of course they do if they they're good at what they do. But these 30 million, 40 million, 50 million, they, they, this is out of control. And all it is is the plant from Little Shop of Horror saying feed me more and more and more at our expense. And we do not have We do not have the leadership in this country right now that's going to need to fix this, which basically needs to rein in this ultra-wealthy class. That's the reality. Generation Z, millennials, that's why you're getting screwed right now. Time to change the paradigm. It really is. Chicago, have a great weekend. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour number two of the show here on your Friday. Matt and Patrick here. Uh, I got dancing to do a little bit later on, but right now I have got our expert in COVID modeling as well as disease modeling as well. He's smart. It's Dr. Joe Eastman. He's worked for NASA. He's worked with Colorado State University, the LTER. Uh, he's part of COVID modeling teams. What's the, what's the world organization that you're now uh, you know, squawking with? Yeah, it's uh, called the World Health Network, and uh, we're doing a lot of good things right now. Beautiful. So I'm excited. Uh, World Health Network, which they're glad they, he has him as a starting point guard there. And uh, as well, speaking of point guards, uh, he's also going to be our t- Timberwolves expert. And I will touch on the Timberwolves <laughs> with you at the end of this here, because you, you, you have been excited about this T-Wolves team. Oh, boy, am I ever. And uh, we're not even playing that great, and we're still winning right now. <laughs> uh, we'll, get to, we'll get to all that here in a, in a little bit. I, I, okay, so I want to start off with observations, because I think one of the things that's such basic science, but I, I paid attention when I went down to South Carolina this last weekend. And um, it's, it's, I did look at the notifications, and it did say that of the three-headed monster, the COVID, the flu, and this respiratory thing that's going around, that the southeastern United States and the southern states were getting hit the hardest at the time I went down there. When we went down, we wore masks the entire time. And in the second we got in the airport till the second we got out of an airport, the final airport, we wore our masks. So the entire time on the plane and everything like that, um, it was 
when I was down in South Carolina, it wasn't that bad because we were like out on a beach. And so it wasn't really a, a lot of people. But particularly in the airports, Dr. Joe, when I was in the airports at Charleston, mainly at Charlotte, which is a huge hub for American Airlines uh, and MSP, the and on the planes, there was an undeniably uncomfortable level of coughing that was going on out there. And I'm going to say this. I think my wife, my child, and myself, maybe there was a total of six people who were wearing a mask on that entire plane. People were looking at us like we were crazy to wear a mask. But, yeah, it's undeniable that there was a lot of coughing going on. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, What we're seeing right now is also the result of uh, repeated uh, COVID infections. Uh, having a toll on our immune system and opening up a gateway to what we call co-infections or just uh, other other types of infections from, uh, you know, RSV and influenza, but also like strep levels are going crazy in a lot of places. And uh, it's, it's, you know, all of a sudden young people are being diagnosed with cancer at an alarming rate. And uh, all, these people, all these doctors are going we have no idea what's going on. And then like, duh, <laughs> come on, wake up guys. Well, uh, let's, let's, can we, can you, can we, let, let's stop really quick here. What do you mean? A lot of kids are starting to get diagnosed with cancer. I mean, I trust you. You're, 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 you're very smart. you you know, your facts. Can you elaborate what, what, what there's been a spike in youth cancer cases? Yeah. It, 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 unfortunately. Yes. Um, and uh, it has has to do with the the virus actually just triggering kind of latent um, genetic expressions that lead to to cancer growth. Um, that's what the hypothesis is right now. So, um, yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll send you that article later. At, Please at do. This. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the whole idea of these as uh, a gateway of because our immune systems have become so weakened, it's it's incredible. And I'm I'm glad you didn't catch anything in the the airport because I've been watching the uh, airport sequences come in through a thing called GISAID, where they they upload sequences of data from all over the world uh, of the different variants floating around. And GN1 is really on a climb right now. Of course, uh, it's 85 percent of this country is infected with that. I mean, uh, that's the most prevalent uh, variant that's infecting people. Um, but anyways, the, I've watched the airports now for almost two months, and my gosh, they, they screen people coming in internationally, and and a lot of them are showing these uh, different JN1 variants that weren't here before. Um, we're basically letting them in through uh, the back door, <laughs> And uh, you'll see other variants probably take over here um, after JN1 runs its course. Okay, so if we can, let's let's talk a little bit about that because I mean, it, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that if you came into a country and you tested positive for COVID, guess what? You were, you know, we're going to put you in a hotel. You're going to stay there for till you, po- you, you, you know, you're not testing positive anymore. It's the way the most of the world has done it. I've had friends who were traveling internationally and then they came down with COVID and ended up having to stay an extra week or two weeks wherever they were in a hotel room. It's not the most ideal thing, but it, it does happen. Um, I, I, you know, so they're getting tested. They're saying positive and we're still saying, okay, have a good time. Is that what's going on? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's basically what's going on. Um, really sad to see this. Uh, I mean, it, it's gotten so crazy that California just uh, decided that uh, your quarantine, the amount of time you should quarantine if you test positive is one day now. It's like, are you serious? <laughs> what, what in the world? And they're send, sending kids back to school in Oakland that are tested positive for corona. I, I mean, I can't fathom what's going on in, in many aspects of this country right now. Um, boy. The Bad. you sent me the 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 forecast here. We are in. I think is it it once again. If I'm not mistaken, it's the second worst spike in cases since that initial horrific one. I believe it was early 2021. Correct. It was uh, yeah the Omicron uh, the first introduction of BA one. It was called um, yeah, and then that spawned a whole bunch of new variants. BA five. You know, I've always referred to that as the uh, woodpecker on a dry pine. It would not let go. Mm. And that lasted for six months at uh, elevated levels. So um, you can expect more of the same down the line from this uh, new family of uh, variants that came out of the BA286 so, um, mutations. So <laughs> so your, your initial... Um, assessments we're looking at March. Is it still March or are you thinking it's going to be later in the year, April, May, that before this spike starts coming down? It's, um, yeah, it, it, that's what's kind of alarming to me right now. And it's not just my model that's showing this. Um, as we come down from this most recent spike that peaked sometime around January 10th, more than likely, uh, most of our models agree with that. Um, what happens is it doesn't bottom out at um, the levels that we're used to, we're still looking at, uh, you know, in towards the end of uh, early March, right in that time period, of uh, at around 750,000 new infections a day. And to put that in perspective, the very first big wave that we saw um, where uh, people were really nervous and uh, raised the alarm was, remember back in uh, 2021, it was about 300,000 a day was our peak back then. So we're even above that. <laughs> Not, kind of and, a lot above that, too. Right, very, more, more than double. So, um, of course, the, the death rate has, has decreased as we learned how to, to deal with the, the virus itself. But... Um, Boy, we, we can't keep doing this because even in my model simulation, I estimated the new level of uh, uh, COVID, uh, long COVID cases that will result from this wave between now and May at about 11 million people with long COVID. And uh, the economic impacts, the most recent I've seen, is about $3.7 trillion over the next decade. And that's a low-end estimate. I've seen them as high as six. So... Uh, we we can't continue this. It's um, you know uh, let's design a new new booster and oh geez by the time that booster gets in our arms um, it's outdated. The new variant has popped up that it's not real effective against. So uh, we got to change course. The, and uh, yes, well the cost uh, the, the costs that you put out there are those worldwide or are this U.S. Just the U.S. Yes. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's just an alarming, alarming number. And uh, yesterday they had the uh, 
the health committee met, the Senate health health committee, and uh, they, it was all about long COVID. And for the first time in a long time, the hearing they actually had to have an overflow room for it. Um, our state state senator Tina Smith is on there, and she asked a lot of good questions and uh, went into uh, all the problems people are having with insurance companies recognizing long COVID, and uh, I mean, it's just an absolute mess out there right now. But uh, that meeting was uh, headed by uh, Bernie Sanders, who's the chair, and uh, there was a lot of positive uh, outcomes that came out of that. Um, Hopefully it will create a momentum and uh, get the government more involved in just what the heck is going on right now. Your models that you you'd sent me some models, and you know it's it's not the models I wish you'd send me, but you're sending you're sending these models here <laughs> that uh, are are somewhat concerning. Uh, you sent me one for Illinois, and it, particularly I, I was it was a little stunned by the Chicago line because as you were just saying here, it does not show the Chicago line; it shows the the line you did for Peoria the, the, and for Champaign going down by, you know, mid-March, but Chicago doesn't go down at all. It's, as a matter of fact, well, it goes down a little bit, and then it kind of levels out and plateaus and stays there. I mean, is, that seems to be the metro areas, it seems like, is that what you're seeing? The metro areas are going to be staying with this on a lot longer scale the, the, with the closer contact with more people? Exactly. Uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area shows a similar trend, and then uh Tomorrow, I'm, I'm going to present a bunch of results for other uh, urban centers across the country. And you will see a similar trend that, uh, where they remain kind of as a residual pocket of the infection. And, and eventually, that will get back out to the urban or the suburbs and uh, rural areas of, of different states throughout the country. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, as we get the new variants coming in, it's it, it's going to present a whole another uh, probably a secondary wave, not as big as this one, but something similar. Um, so moving forward, we got to we got to get uh, get our act together. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Yeah, we do, we do. Yeah, and I want to go back to another thing you said is that you know the death rate might not be there, and I think that that's definitely definitely something that's playing into the the the, the society's psyche that they're just not they're not seeing the danger here. But at the same time, I'm going to counterpoint you there. If we're seeing a spike due to COVID, the weakening of immune systems, and we're seeing a spike in cancer cases in youth, we've talked about the brain issues that have emerged with long COVID, um, the long-term respiratory and health conditions we're having with COVID. I, you know, it might not be COVID that takes people out, but I got to believe we're going to start seeing spikes of death here which might not, I mean, especially for the people who are against the idea of COVID getting blamed for anything, they, you know, it might not be the, the first thing listed on the, the death certificate, but it, you know, COVID is definitely a secondary reason this person has passed away. That's, that's right. We're not even bothering to, to count the excess deaths related to the, the COVID virus that uh, is occurring throughout the country. Um, it's, um, it's, it's going to be alarming. I, I mean, it's going to just keep increasing the longer we just let this thing spread and uh, ruin our immune systems, basically. And that every time you get infected, 
you reinfected, you got a bigger chance of getting long COVID. And I spent hours in, in uh, chat rooms with uh, what we call long haulers. And, oh, my gosh, you, you won't believe the stories and, and what some of these people are going through. And it's ruined their relationship, their, their family life. They can't, can't function. They, get, they even got to kind of pre, predetermine what kind of physical activity they can do that day without complete exhaustion. Uh, it's, it's really sad. And it's finally, I think, with yesterday's hearing, starting to get more attention. And it's much needed. We need to, to fund the research and do a lot more randomized trials instead of some of these studies are, are kind of useless. So pointing out uh, interesting uh, results and uh, possible complications of post-acute secular. But... Um, you know, we need we need to focus on some treatments for these people. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's really sad. There's there's probably about twenty million that are sitting there at the, in their house, can't do anything, and can't even go out and socialize. So, yeah, um, it, we got a big job. And we still have idiots making fake shaking videos from the vaccines. There there's legitimate problems here, and they're just trying to still downplay the. I mean, I just can't. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Last time you and I talked, um, we talked about the worst team up ever, flu and COVID, uh, and that that was something that was happening there. Where is that standing at? I mean, are we still seeing? And of course, let's throw in this respiratory disease. Are we seeing the 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 one two possibly a one two three punch still out there causing major havoc? Right, right. Uh, it's it's still out there. Um, it's it's in a declining phase, but it, actually the flu has dropped off quite a bit just recently. But a, a lot of us are anticipating a, a secondary surge in, in flu cases coming on, and uh, you know we get the kids back in school, and and uh, that kind of feeds us from the bottom up in terms of the influenza and the and the COVID itself. Um, we'll see what happens here in the next few months, but. I, it's not a rosy picture by any means. Uh, we got to change course. The, the respiratory uh, condition that's going around that's beyond the flu and beyond the COVID, what, what's the status of that right now? Because like I said, I think that, I mean, I especially think from, say, mid-December until early January, that was what was getting a lot of people in this country. Yeah, yeah, the, the just different kinds of pneumonia and things like that are, if, uh, and again, it's, we've opened up a gateway to other complications, respiratory complications because of this COVID uh, infection and reinfection that uh, is getting way too prevalent right now. You know, there's there's no FDA approved treatments for things like long COVID, and the, you know, the more people keep getting this stuff, the worse our immune systems become, and. Uh, in a lot of cases, we don't have any treatment right now for it. So um, it's kind of grim at the moment. It really is. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but I've been that way for quite a while here. Oh, no. But, uh, you are you are sitting there saying, for God's sakes, people, I want people to live. I want people to survive. I don't want people getting sick. And the world is ignoring this now. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, you say, well, I'm glad you're out there doing it. I'm very much aware I'm pretty much one of the last people that's doing any kind of updates with an expert on this stuff. And it blows my mind because, like I said, I'm going to an airport. I don't need to be a doctor. I can hear – and granted, I think there's some seasonalness to this. I mean, there's the flu and all these things. 
But we just two years ago, three years ago, we're in the grips of one of the worst pandemics this country has ever seen. The one of the worst the world has seen in in over a century. And people just kind of shrug their shoulders now. It's like, I'm going to go get my chicken wings at the sports bar. And you're like, what? I can understand your frustration because <laughs> you're screaming into the wind at this point. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you tend to get beat down sometimes and uh, kind of lose a little mojo. I uh-huh. kind of experienced that, that at the beginning of this month. I was like, oh, boy, should I just give up? I, I, don't. But, no, Dr. Joe. No, don't give up, man. I need you. I need sanity <laughs> in my life. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> All right. Let's – okay, so uh, – if, you know, for God's sakes, if you're taking a flight, wear a mask. I mean, can we just get to that point right now? Go get your vaccines. Go get vaccinated. Uh, you know, if you're diagnosed, stay at home for a few days at least and wear a mask, particularly if you're going to an airport. <laughs> you're spot on with that. I mean, it, and as far as quarantine periods, there's indications that this new one can linger from uh, about 7 to 21 days. And wow. You're still contagious at that point. So, um, yeah, it, there is a new drug that's a kind of a knockoff of Paxlovid that they have in China now that is reducing the viral loads uh, 30 times after five days. If wow. you start to, taking this drug, yeah, it's, um, well, gosh, I think it's called Semopelvir. I always have problems pronouncing these names, but um, that was... It's interesting to see, and hopefully it will uh, make its way to our shores and and uh, help people out. So if we can reduce that load, just that load of when they're infectious, that is a big deal because then they're not spreading it to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I want to briefly mention is testing. We've basically dropped testing, but this is how sensitive it is. If we test at a 0.1% rate, you know, people going into work or at home or whatever, 0.1% of us test, we can significantly reduce the uh, the number of infections just by increasing that to 0.11%. This peak would have been about two-thirds of what it was if we were still testing at that kind of rate. It seems so small, but just that small thing makes a difference because you test positive, you go into quarantine. You you stay or stay away from people. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's so. the case. You test positive, stay at home, rest up. Do it. Uh, by the way, you mentioned that one case where the it's like you know you get at least seven days. I had a friend who could not believe that they were not te- they were tested positive for like ten days, and they finally tested non positive, and it stood out because I haven't heard that in a while, and I'm wondering if they had that variant. I, I I would suspect that's what's going on there. Because, wow. And the other thing is, um, a lot of times the tests aren't showing a positive result for uh, for uh, five days. You could, you could have it for five days, and the test might not even show it. Wow. Uh, and there's there is some new test techniques that are out there, and they have yet to be approved by the FDA. But 
we got to do something about the testing too. It's it's inadequate right now. Doctor, it has to be revamped. Doctor Joe, you're a hero, and I, I, none of people are saying this. You're a hero. The people that work for the Minnesota Department of Health, they're heroes. The doctors, the nurses, they're absolute saints. They're out there. They're trying to fight this. I appreciate what you're doing. I know it's hard to say this as one person, but don't let this get you discouraged because we still need you fighting for us. And I appreciate all you do. Oh, gosh, thank you for the kind words, Matt, and I, I reciprocate because, like you say, you are one of the few people out there that is giving the airways a voice of reason on uh, COVID and long COVID, so um, I greatly appreciate what you do, too. Uh, we, we've got a few seconds here. Let's, uh, I, I know you, you are, he'll, he texts me, he texts me during T-Wolves games because he's like, did you see that play? And I'm like, okay, Dr. Joe. Yeah. I, that's like, uh, they, they're playing well. They just beat Memphis on Thursday. What the hell was with the nine o'clock local start time last night? <laughs> yeah, I know. TNT <laughs> finally decides to give us a little airtime, you know, but. Hey, we're going to penalize you. You got to play two hours later than what you hey, do. Hey, kids, who wants to watch the first five minutes? Uh, you know, it's uh, here's here's the great thing for the the T Wolves. If they can keep it together, they they stop getting so loosey goosey. They stop down on their turnovers. Uh, they've got a game at home versus Oklahoma City. That's on Saturday. That's the one tough one. They then have you know Twinkie cupcake. And and ho ho on the schedule is Charlotte, Washington, <laughs> Brooklyn, and San Antonio all line up before we're at Oklahoma City on the on the twenty ninth. If they can hold it together, th- there's a real opportunity for them to put some space between us and Denver and Oklahoma City in in the West. Yeah, we've we've had the toughest schedule, second toughest schedule in the NBA over the first half of the season. So uh, to be where we are is is. Very impressive. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, you know, as long as we stay healthy, I, I have uh, have good uh, outlook on this team, and uh, maybe we can get a champion in Minnesota again. Well, we do have we do have some stretches of just god awful teams we're playing. So, I mean, I think it's looking pretty good. Uh, the second yeah. half of the season, and hopefully, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, will you know Oklahoma City? You think they'll be able to take care of them at home? Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a tough game because. Oklahoma City's system, they, you talk about teamwork on offense. Boy, they are really impressive in how they move the ball around. And, uh, you know, Minnesota sometimes kind of freelances and, and then we let, uh, Ant take over and, uh, you know, win the game for us. But we, we got other guys stepping up at different times too. So it's, it's great to see. Finally. You know, yeah. I'm excited, as you can tell. <laughs> Nas, Reed, Nas Reed, my opinion is Nas Reed is the key. If Nas Reed, Nas Reed is so important for this team right now. And if, you know, Gobert is a rebounding machine, Ant's Ant. Cat, if he stays out of foul trouble, but Nas Reed, if he's starting to hit, it's over. Because I, there's, it just, it eventually gets down the line where there's just no one to cover him. And, and, and that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, isn't he fun to watch? And remember yeah. when he went out last year with an injury right before the, or during the playoffs there, that that crippled us. Uh, um, we we might have beat Denver. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we could have. I think Nas. He he's definitely got to be up in the line for the six man award this year. He's got to be. Uh, yes, I agree. He's starting to get a lot of love now, so it's good to see. The kid deserves it. He's basically undrafted, so we are. Uh, you like like those stories. 
We are officially the Nas Reed station. All right, that's, that's, that's where we're at right now. All the rest of these guys are getting a lot of it. We're, Nas, we're on your side, man. Outstanding play. Uh, all right, we'll check in with you in a few weeks. We'll get an update on the T-Wolves then. But, you know, uh, stay safe. Keep a... Keep, uh, you know, in the face of all this of this resistance, just just keep your chin up, man. Because uh, thank God for you. Thank God for you. All right, thank you very much, Pat, and I can't wait to talk to you again. You got it, Doctor Joe Eastman, our COVID modeling specialist. Let's take a long break on this one. Come on back. We got a lot to unpack as well. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM nine fifty. I am lucky I did not spray whatever I was drinking at that time across my entire studio when Dr. Joe brought up the, oh, by the way, COVID's causing a spike in cancer in in young people. What the hell, man? Dear Lord. I'm going to go back to what I said for how many years? I don't want you sick, I don't want you dead, and I don't want you bankrupt for the rest of your life. I sure as heck don't want you or a family member having to deal with long COVID, which seems to be just a candy store of different serious issues. You know, take your pick, fill up your basket, for God's sakes. And I get it. No one wants in this political climate to be concerned. Oh, maybe we need to get masks on. Look, they're going to put face diapers on. You don't want you don't want Bill Maher out there screaming about vaccines or whatever. Sweet Lord. But at the same time, shouldn't we show some level of concern? Like I said, my wife, my daughter, and myself in that airport, in particularly in the Charlotte International Airport, I think maybe I saw a total of five other people wearing a mask the entire time. Think about this. This is three years ago. We have a current spike, the second biggest spike of COVID disease. Nope, don't care. Football's on. I don't care. And I've been vaccinated. I know I've been vaccinated, both flu and COVID. Still, take it seriously. I'm going to say it again. I don't want you sick. I don't want you dead. I don't care if you are a Republican. This is not, this is beyond politics for God's sakes. I don't want you sick. I don't want you dead. I don't want you bankrupt. I don't want Republicans out there having to, for 20 years, clip coupons and, and skip a meal because they're still paying off medical debt from when grandma got sick. I don't want that for you. But I'm a, I'm an alarmist. No, I'm Christian. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. You do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. Uh, good news for people who basically, I guess, want to live in Australia the NOAA's Climate Prediction Center released a three-month temperature and precipitation outlook on Thursday, and climatologists are saying that El Nino conditions are going on on with these conditions, likely affecting the weather patterns across the U.S. and through the end of April. 
Sea surface temperatures are remaining well above average across the central and eastern equatorial Pacific Ocean, triggering El Nino. And those conditions will likely persist through May. That's when the CPC says El Nino could transition into neutral conditions later this spring and into the summer months. Hey, great. Just, just great. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. Um, we got to talk about vacancies here. Um, Axios has a story here on on office building vacancies. And the U.S. overall metro area, the metro area, so I'm going to guess that this is qualifying. There's a qualifier on certain size of population center that qualifies for this study. The metro area vacancy rate for the fourth quarter of 2023, the U.S.'s overall average was 19.6. The Twin Cities was well above that at 22.7, which means that not a quarter, but a little, almost a quarter of the office space in Minneapolis-St. Paul is open right now. Now, for all the Republicans out there just who, who are, you know, excited, rage excited, because they say, maybe this is, is Minneapolis the worst place ever? No, it's not. That goes to Dayton, Ohio. That might be other issues. Uh, 27.7%. Charleston, West, West Virginia, 27.2%. So these are well over a quarter of the office space in these towns is is open right now. Tulsa, Oklahoma, 26.4%. Houston, Texas, 26.3%. Dallas, 25.3%. Austin, Texas, 25.2%. God, Texas is having a nightmare, isn't it? Of the top six... Three of them are massive. I mean, Houston's massive. Dallas is very big, too. I'm guessing this Fort Worth is not part of this discussion because that's its own metro area. But Dallas, Houston, and Austin, wow, that's over a quarter in each of those towns. The lowest rates, New York, I don't, is that really a surprise? I don't think New York City is too much of a surprise. I mean, it's just, it's so busy. I was listening to the, uh, I was listening, when I was, I was running today, I was listening to the Smartless podcast with, uh, Oh, God, what's the, the guy the guy that played Kylo Ren? Oh, God, I can't remember off the top of my head. Do you remember who played Kylo Ren, Patrick? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to have to go look. Uh, <laughs> Adam Driver. It was Adam Driver. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> That's one of the funniest things ever, man. That was beautiful. Yes, I do. And then you just turn off your mic. Okay. <laughs> oh, bravo. Uh, he was talking about New York City and how they like New York better than they liked L.A. because L.A. is kind of a company town with the movie industry out there. And New York is so dynamic and has so many different businesses and industries. It's a very different thing. So I guess, I mean, after listening to that today, New York being at 12.6 doesn't surprise me. Um, so, But still over 10%, and, and this is the best in the country, still over 10% of the office space is is open in New York. Uh, Long Island is, for some reason, not included there. I, I don't know if it's the whole Long Island or just the boroughs that are on Long Island. 
13.6, Palm Beach, Florida, 14.2, Little Rock, Arkansas, 14.3, Omaha, Nebraska, 14.4, and Buffalo, New York, 14.4. I think, yeah, I, I, Buffalo, New York kind of surprises me, considering how bad the weather there is in the winter. You'd think that that'd be like a prime place to have a lot of places, uh, you know, businesses working from home. The Twin Cities has one of the highest office vacancy rates in the country, ranking 14th out of 79 metro areas. According from data from Moody's Analytics, office buildings both locally and nationally are emptying as companies continue to adapt to the new norms of a remote and hybrid work. I have had more people, though, in the Twin Cities metro tell me in the last month or so that their companies are now demanding you have to do a hybrid model, that you have to be in the office now, um, you know, three, you know, two to three days a week. That that is that's kind of the new thing is that it's not going to go. I don't think it's ever going to go back to the whole thing, but I think it's going to be two to three. There are some people I know who I think are taking a bit of a risk by demanding. It's like I'm not going back if this is what you're going to do. I'm going to find another job. I I think most companies are going to go back to a two to th- uh, two to three day a week model. I I really do eventually. Some exceptions to that, but I think that most companies are. I mean, these are companies that that were some of the first to go to the remote model and have been saying, oh, yeah, we have no problem with this. The fact that they want to go back now, I think that that's more of a trend. Minneapolis Mayor Jacob Fry and others have called for big corporations to bring their workers back into the office. It appears company leaders have already moved past that idea. Some Some of them have. Some of them have not. Just six out of the 105... Uh, 158 U.S. CEOs say they'll prioritize bringing workers back to the office full-time in 2024, according to a new survey released by the conference board. Uh, that's 158 U.S. CEOs. I mean, that's not a, that's a, it's a sample of the business model, but, you know, it's not a lot of them. Remote work appears likely to be the most persistent economic legacy of the pandemic, said Goldman Sachs economist in a recent note. I'm not going to disagree with that. It just is how much remote working are we talking about here. For office landlords, this isn't great, but overall the high vacancy rate has been priced in the market for a systemic risk posed by the office sector apparently appears fairly minimal. Moody's does not believe this will become a source of systemic risk over the overall banking system. The owners of these office buildings pay huge property tax bills and their vacancy rates uh, their values fall. That uh, shifts the burden onto residential property taxpayers. Aside from the 18-story North Loop Tower going up, developers have halted future office projects in the Twin Cities. I actually think it's – I am still of the mindset I think we should start converting a few um, a few of the um, – office buildings into residential because i cannot i mean i'm sorry if you could live at the top of the ids building what would if you had if you were like one of those big wheeler dealers i mean you could buy an entire floor of the ids and have it as a residence i mean how much would that cost 10 million now i don't know what the current rent is for the offices up there and if you do sell it, you know, you basically might have a, you know, an association fee or something like that. And, but you're, you know, you're not going to be making too much more money off of it. You know, I, I think that they want the rent. But I think you could look at condoing out some of those properties <coughs> and seeing what you could get 
it, it might be a way. I mean, it's once again, it's you're, you're not at a quarter. I mean, and like I said, that it sounds like you know Texas is really getting the worst of this right now. But you could end up getting a, a situation where you at least take it back to under twenty percent, maybe down to seventeen point five. I got to believe you'd be on the better side of that. And frankly, here's the deal: is that sure you create a few high end apartment complexes in in some of the big buildings? All right. Um, if things turn around and people start going back to the office, then all of a sudden it also spurs more economic growth, more building of buildings. And I think that that's a good thing. Plus the fact that, I'm sorry, I could see those selling. The way wealthy people kind of operate right now, if you could buy a floor of the IDS Center, I, I, I would imagine you'd have investors buying those out fairly quickly. I will say this. I've been in the IDS. I've been up in the IDS in winter. It gets kind of cold through this winter. If you get near the windows, you feel it outside a little bit there. Plus, I mean, you are up there high, man. But still, you'll, you, you, I, I'm without a doubt in my mind, you'd get people that would buy them. I remember there was a, there's an office building that's near my house off of 169. Down at Bren Londonderry, they uh, basically had, uh, they converted that it was one of the first ones they converted from an office space to rentals, and it's it's sold out. So I think there's an interest. I just don't know if you're going to be able to to you know get enough with that. But I think that that might be an option to do it. They are right. Some businesses will not come back. Uh, it saves the money. It saves the money, but some businesses will, and. So it will be interesting to see where things go from there. 952-946-6205. Speaking of businesses, I want to bring this up because there was there was a series of stories about the, the state addressing company issues, corporate issues at a few places in the state. Uh, a Brainerd printing company failed to protect employees from sexual harassment and unwanted touching from a supervisor going so far as to promote the supervisor while failing to act on knowledge of his conduct this is according to a new lawsuit filed by the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. Yee. Unwanted touching, you say. Yikes. Lawsuit filed against Sheridan, formerly known as Bang Printing. Well, I think... Really? <laughs> formerly known as Roll in the Hay Printing. No, Bang Printing. I know why you changed your name. Apparently, they allege the company violated the Minnesota Human Rights Act when it failed to meaningfully stop a supervisor from using his position of power to repeatedly sexually harass and assault two employees. Great. In a statement on Thursday, MDHR Commissioner Rebecca Lucero uh, accused the company's willful inaction gave license to their harassment to continue. There cannot be a meaningful end to sexual harassment when those who are in positions of power to end it deliberately do nothing, she said. According to the Minnesota Department of Human Resources, um, the supervisor began sexually harassing and assaulting two employees in June of 2020. Yikes. You think it started then? My guess is going to be is that person probably had been doing some levels of assaulting in other capacities prior. It just it didn't get mentioned. The alleged behaviors included regular unwelcome sexual advances, unwanted touching, and offensive comments. The MDHR alleges Sheridan did nothing when an employee filed a complaint against the mat regarding the matter. Several months later, the second employee quit because the harassment and assault continued. 
Wow. It becomes Sheridan would not stop it, the, the lawsuit alleges. Um, in early 2021, the supervisor received a promotion. Oh, that's nice. And first employee again submitted a complaint Sheridan, then issued a verbal warning, which was ineffective and took no further actions. Only after the MDHR began investigating that Sheridan began an internal investigation in the supervisor's behavior and announcing the lawsuit on Thursday, the MDHR said the attempts to resolve the case with the company have been unsuccessful. The state is seeking damages for the two employees and steps to ensure Sheridan employees are provided a safe work environment moving forward. God, it's, 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 this is like, where was the business where the woman got pregnant and they hired her and then they fired her on the spot? Yeah. Yeah. It, or, or the one business where the woman was trying to, um, you know, it was, it was, was lactating and trying to, you know, use the facilities for that. And they, they basically harassed her. Was that, was that a Menards? That yeah, it was the, something like that. That yeah, was like yeah. a Menards or something like that. Why, why, how come we're dealing with this crap still? I mean, I guess I could go back. Let me go back to that one thing I said at the last of the end of the last hour there, because this is just disgusting. The median male salary in 2022 was 52,612. The median female salary was 39,688. 75% of what men earned for full-time workers. What the F, man? Seriously, what the F? I I know plenty of women who are far better than any man at their job. Let alone, not 75%, I'm like 150 times more. How, how are we even, why is this even a discussion? I mean, are there HR departments that sit there and they say to themselves, you know what, it's a chick. You know, let's, let's drop it down from the 50,000. Let's get down to maybe 40,000. Yeah, because the chicky poo. Are you still doing that? How in the hell is it that you're not at a point where, oh, we're hiring this person, we're hiring a person to do this job, this is the job they're going to do, this is their job, it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman, they're getting paid the same amount. Ta-da! How is this this hard? Unwanted touching. No touching. Unwanted touching. I, I'm sorry if I was managing employees and I had someone say, oh, yeah, um, Hansy over here is getting a little grabby. I, I, I'm going to be cracking down on that. If you hire someone and they say that I'm pregnant, you say, hey, congratulations. Well, here's all the facilities we have to help accommodate you. How are we still here? Oh, I, that's right. Greed and misogyny. Greed and misogyny. There, <laughs> that's okay. I've answered my own question. Thank you. Oh, God. Solve this, man. And, and stop it. And just grow the F up. Just pay them the same rates. Stop doing this. Well, is it a man? Crap. And if someone is getting assaulted or abused in the office, how about we still take it a little bit easier? Because I want to remind everyone of that, that women still have to deal with the rest of the freaking world out there, which is ex- not exactly on their side either. And judging from some of my friends' DMs, it's a dark, ugly world that they have to deal with. So, hey, maybe making sure they get paid the same amount as the same as everyone else doing the same job, 
might be a first step that we probably should have done a hundred damn years ago. How about that? I just it's it's not about this is just this is just stupid that this is still holding on. It's just stupid. And and by the way, that goes because when you factor in African American men, they get paid less than white men. African American women get paid less than white women. We need to just pay them what they deserve and set a right and be done with it. Stop with these because you know, for this to even exist today, that still is someone in an office in a room doing this. So stop it. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. We'll take a break. Come on back. I'm dancing end of the weekend. I'm dancing. That's for sure. It's the Matt McNeil Show on AM nine fifty. AM nine fifty, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. I just, how about we just treat everyone the same? How about that? Oh, yeah, exactly. So what we need, I guess, is something that's going to get us into the weekend and get us into the weekend in a good mindset. And boy, have I got a humdinger for you. You got this here? There you go. The tramps. Little disco inferno. That's right. Who has been to a roller rink? Uh, Native Roots Radio, I'm awake. That's coming up here after me. Have a fantastic weekend. We are back here on a Monday. Until then, see ya.